I personally believe that marketers have both art and science. If you have no gut instinct about why something's going to work, you're going to be looking for answers and data that won't actually give you the answers you're looking for. And so I always start with just like an overview of a competitive landscape. This episode is sponsored by Rebe, the marketing analytics platform that gives you answers instead of more data. If you're looking at boosting conversions and understanding where you're going wrong, then you have to check out a Rebe. No more wasting time on Google Analytics by looking through irrelevant data. Now you can get to the crux of your tracking and measuring efforts in just a few simple clicks. So how does it work? After you connect a Rebe to your or your client's site, everything is tracked and analyzed automatically. That means whenever you launch a new campaign, landing page promotion, or piece of content, you don't need to worry about those annoying tracking codes. You'll immediately have all the data you need in a user-friendly dashboard. Also, Arebi lets you create conversion funnels in just a few seconds. And you get to see how your visitors behave through these flows on your site. They also have cool integrations with platforms like Facebook, HubSpot, MailChimp. So make sure you check them out. They have a seven-day free trial and the Marketing Millennials listeners get 20% off all plans with the promo code TMM20. That's T as in the... Amazon Marketing, Amazon Millennials 20. Or you can go to aribi.io backslash TMM. That's O-R-I-B-I dot I-O backslash TMM. Or use a link in the show notes below to claim this amazing discount. Turn it up. You're listening to the Marketing Millennials Podcast. I'm Emily Ferguson. And I'm Daniel Murray. Get ready, because we're taking you on a journey with today's marketing leaders and tomorrow's top stars. Let's go! No BS, just a fun, unfiltered industry conversation with the game changers behind some of the coolest companies from around the globe. The one request we tell our guests... Stories or didn't happen. A big welcome to our marketing fam. Prepare to turn the f*** up. They keep letting me record. I have an amazing guest today. She is the founder of House of Wise and CMO of Tia. She's also a single mom of three, a Twitter marketing influencer. I don't know how she does it all. Give it up for my guest today, Amanda Getz. Hey, guys. <laughs> how are you doing today? I'm good. It's, you know, we're recording on a Friday, so... I feel like I'm a little stressed because I have a lot of work to do, but I am excited for the weekend. Yeah, me too. I think like we talked about this a little before, but Fridays are like trying to wrap everything up and you just have so much to do, but you want to get things done before the weekend. So, Yeah. I want to get into this because I'm interested in how you just got into marketing in general, and then we can get into some nitty gritty stuff. Yeah. I, I'm one of those rare people that actually went to college for the thing that I'm doing. <laughs> so uh, growing up, I grew up in a small town in central Illinois, like less than a thousand people. And I was on a farm by myself most of the time. Like my parents were very much like, go play. And so my brain was always just coming up with like these imaginary games. And my dad had his own plumbing business. And so I would help him think how to like talk about the plumbing business. And I always thought that that was fun. And I would watch him talk to customers all the time and I would go on jobs with him. And 
I think a lot of it just was like innate to who I am and, and how my brain works. And so when I went to college, I knew I was going to be a marketing major. I actually had a focus in, in stats because I thought I was going to do more market research. And I, I love the quant side of marketing. But my career, my first job out of school, I worked at Ernst & Young where I was doing like tax marketing, hedge fund marketing. And then I finally got to the Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year program, which is kind of their big marketing program, right? They want to they want to do the IPOs of these big companies. So they get in early and kind of shepherd their the founders through this Entrepreneur of the Year program. So I got to lead that for three of the Midwest regions. And that really, I got to go into the nitty gritties of companies. You know, you, do, you go with the, the accountants and you're like studying the books, but you're also interviewing the founders and such a cool experience. And then when I moved from Chicago to New York, I realized I needed to get my hands really into the cookie jars of like all different types of marketing. So I went to a very small company. It was a celebrity wedding planner where I helped manage his brand across all of his touch points. And he had like licensing deals. He had a reality TV show. He had books. And so that was really my like multi-channel marketing experience. And it was a small team. Like there was only five of us that worked for worked for him. And so did that for a few years. And then then I launched my own tech startup in the wedding industry. That was back in 2011, about 2011. Did that for a few years and had trouble raising capital as, you know, first time female founder, I was trying to solve a very technical solution and did not have a technical co-founder, but I learned a ton about building. Like I was managing engineers for the first time. I was, you know, working with designers and studying UX and all of those things. And that led me to the knot where I really kind of got to take eight years of wedding industry experience and then start building products and a brand for, you know, one of the largest wedding brands there there are. So that's kind of my, my history up until launching House of Wise. That's so awesome. I think like, what do you think sparked this like entrepreneurial side of you? Because I think like you've always had it, it seems like, and it, see your your dad seems like he had it too with his own business. But what do you think sparked that? Yeah, I think it has to do with a little bit of my dad seeing how he could control his own schedule and was his own boss. And he was always there for us. Like he coached all of our like baseball and basketball leagues. And so there was a part of me that really loved that autonomy. And then as I've like grown in my like self-awareness on the professional side of things, I understand kind of where I derive a lot of fulfillment and, and enjoyment in career. And so a lot of it has to do with autonomy and being able to, really like be in control of my strategy, et cetera. And what happened was, you know, the knot was a smaller company when I started and then it got acquired and then we merged with a competitor. And I actually saw firsthand how when teams became bigger and I had to focus on, you know, fewer channels or, you know, my team grew so big that I wasn't able to think about other things because I was spending most of my time, you know, in one-on-ones, I realized that impact and autonomy were two of my like major drivers. So starting a company or being a founder or working at Teal, like 
you know, Teal is still a very small company. It's only one year old and getting to really shape and kind of have my fingerprint on what the marketing strategy looks like, building out that brand. And yeah, so I think it's, it's just self-awareness of what, what drives me and gives me a lot of fulfillment. I want to go into starting with that, like marketing strategy. Like how do you start thinking about a marketing strategy? Cause I think a lot of people talk about this word strategy, but like actually building a strategy, like how do you think about that? Yeah. So I personally start with my, like how I think about the company first, because I think you have to have hypotheses or I personally believe that marketers have both art and science. If you have no gut instinct about why something's going to work, you're going to be looking for answers and data that won't actually give you the answers you're looking for. And so I always start with just like an overview of a competitive landscape and see where you think that you're going to play in the consumer's mind. Where do you think that the product is going to land in, in the landscape? Once you have an understanding of like who you think you are, then you start to create like your only statement. Like we are the only company that does X, Y, and Z. Then you're going to go into a little bit of market research. You're going to kind of pressure test that. Whether you're pre-product and you're just showing wireframes to people and you're asking them questions or you're doing larger quant surveys, like you really start to understand like, does that only statement resonate? And if it starts to check out that like, yeah, this is what people are looking for. This seems to make sense. Then you start to add in the layer of emotion. Like where, what, what do you want somebody to feel when they're interacting with you as a company, as a product, as a brand? That leads you to kind of your brand pyramid, which to me is the, the Bible of a marketer. Like spending time doing your only statement and a brand pyramid. And if you've never done a brand pyramid, at the base of the pyramid is like your functional benefits. Like what does it functionally do? Then it goes into emotional benefits. Then it's tone. Like how do you want somebody to, to feel the brand, the voice and tone? And at the very top, you move your way up is the brand sentiment. What is the essence of your brand? And that's like the one liner that everybody in your company, as you grow, if you stopped them in the hallway and you're like, Hey, what, what do we stand for as a brand? They should be able to say that. And and so once you have your brand pyramid, then you can start to say, okay, let's let's flush out this voice and tone even more. So if we want, you know, if we're empowering and authoritative are like two of your kind of value statements, how does that actually feel visually? And then you start to like chip away at the visual identity. How does that come to life? And for early stage companies, I think people spend so much time trying to perfect these things. They're like, okay, I got to get this brand book perfect. But like, it's going to evolve. Like, just like, we are not the same people that we were a year ago. Like new things have happened to us that, you know, shape us and grow us. The same is for a company. Like you're going to learn and grow as your community reacts and responds. And so I, I, if you're a startup marketer, I would say get something that you can align on across the organization. You want to make sure that product feels bought into that and you, you get that out there and then you iterate. And I think it's really important to bring the company on those journeys with you as you're iterating the brand strategy. One thing I wanted to ask is brand is such a cool thing, but I think a lot of times, even I see this in a lot of companies is how do you keep that voice and 
aligned through all touch points and even like through employees. Cause I think like a lot of big companies, you can ask like 10 employees, what, what is like we do? And they all say something way differently or like, what is their top benefit? And five people say different things. Like, so how do you get that alignment? Yeah. Marketers have to be both external and internal. Like as a CMO, it is my job to make sure that our internal comms reflect our brand sentiment just as much as our external. And you have to have forcing functions of, you know, once a quarter, just to like take a step back. My favorite thing is if someone like rolls their eyes at me because they're like, Amanda, you've said this to me like a thousand times. And I'm like, great. I now know you, you know it. Usually even our internal, you know, employees need to hear something like 10 times at the start of every meeting. So my favorite thing to do is before every single meeting, I have that brand pyramid up and I ask the product people to have that brand pyramid up and say, hey, like at at the knot, you know, our essence was, you know, empowering people to have a wedding that's uniquely theirs, kind of like your wedding, your way. And so everybody knew that it was about personalization and, and that every person in wedding is different. And so they could say that over and over again. And so the same thing goes with Teal. It's like we now make sure that the mission and the brand pyramid is before every meeting and people are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I now I'm starting to hear the same thing over and over again. We want to empower people to take control of their careers. So yeah, I think it's it's about repetition and and never feeling like you are boring people because it's so important that everybody's aligned on that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think... Salesforce did this very well. Like Mark Benioff used to give everybody like a little card of like, this is like your battle card, like brand battle card and the CS team and the the sales team and the marketing team, everybody had like a brand battle card that they knew like what to say on every touch point. The next question I have is really like, so you've, you've come up with this like marketing strategy. Like how do you turn that into like, prioritization and goals like I think like the thing is like okay like we know what we were going to do like how we're going to tackle this like what touch points do we tackle first like I think that's where a lot of marketers and some marketers do too many at once and they never do anything great and then some marketers don't even know where to start on this so um. yes and especially in early stage it's like do we focus on awareness or do we focus on conversion there's only two marketers like which one do we do so that's a great question so you you definitely want to understand if you're thinking of your your marketing funnel where it stops starts at awareness at the top like everybody has to at least know about you when they think of that problem that you're solving it's like okay when i am stuck in my career how do we make everybody know that teal is the place for you or whatever so awareness is at the top and then acquisition when they're actually ready to to convert and they go to someone and they they're ready to make a decision on a product are you there And then retention after that, are you moving them through the purchase funnel or are you keeping them into high value actions? And and then loyalty is kind of at the bottom of that. Are they actually talking about the company and bringing more people in? So that's where like referral programs come in. So when you look at that whole funnel, you have to look at where your company is and the roadmap and where you need to actually focus. Because if you are not retaining people and they're not actually making purchases, why would you start to open up the top of the funnel? 
So that's the first thing. Look at like take a macro view of your company and what are the goals of the company align with your CEO to say where are we at in our like life stage? Because if you're not ready for PR, you don't need to focus on getting an agency or hiring an external comms person. And then when I think about if you are, say, awareness you're ready for, then you have to start to look at all the different tactics that you can do to drive top of the funnel awareness. Things like PR, social share of voice, earned media. All of those things are about how many eyeballs can I physically get to learn about my brand, right? And then at that point, it's all about effort and impact. There are a lot of things that you can do that take up a lot of time that have very little impact. And so you have to, I I love to just t-shirt size things. It's like, how much impact is this going to have? Small, medium, or large? Like you can do back of the napkin math and say, all right, if I'm going to do like a hub, a landing page partnership, I now have to drive people to this hub that's going to have our brand on it with this other brand. And of those people, how many will actually like look at that and convert? And so usually I say like hubs and partnerships go like down on the the priority list because that's multiple steps to get them to do that thing. And then the same thing with acquisition. It's like, okay, acquisition, we can do performance. We can do landing page tests. We can do um, email swaps and email lists and other things like that. We can do in-kind partnerships. And so again, you t-shirt size it. And you also look at what your skill sets are in your company and what your budget looks like. Like if you, most people are like, I would love to do PR. I would love to do influencers, but like we have zero budgets for a startup. So you kind of just look at things through that lens of where are we at? What's our high level goals? Is it awareness? Is it acquisition? Is it retention? And then you go into where can we have the biggest impact right now and where can we build to go to in the future? Yeah, that's kind of like how I think about it. I think one of the best points out of this that you made is I think a lot of people think that they need to open the floodgates when they start and they haven't built like the machine in the bottom. Like you have to have that good product. You have to have that customer like sentiment in the bottom. You got to have to be able to retain them. And a lot of, I see this a lot with like, like companies wanting to invest in paid media early. It's like you, the companies that are winning in paid media and these stories of people like succeeding in paid media is because they've built like a brand and a machine that is the reason why it's winning. It's because like paid media is just a tool to help your brands get more eyeballs. It's not because it's not like the ultimate strategy. No. So what, just in addition to what you just said, people do forget that those optimization pieces, like if I have a landing page that I'm going to drive people to, and it's only converting at 4% click, I'm going to spend the next two months optimizing and A-B testing the crap out of that landing page before I drive more people to it. I'm going to say, I want to get that 4% to 14% before I spend another dollar on top of the funnel acquisition. Like, I I think people forget that you have to look at your conversion metrics before you start to pay because those, like that 10% conversion can make a huge difference when you put a million dollars into paid ads. 
And I also think the point you just made there too, is I think you can't assume that people are going to give you attention again. And no. that's, that's like, I think a lot of problem with paid media is like you, they, and any media in general, it's like you forget to have empathy about that user. And if they have a bad experience or a bad first impression with your brand or your, your product, like, and you're converting in that 4% because they didn't get the messaging on the landing page or they didn't get anything like what, if you try to drive them back again, they probably don't care about you because they didn't understand the first time what would happen. Yeah, you're definitely skewing your results. You have you're going to have false negatives because if you're if you don't have the right UX on that page and the button wasn't you know in the right place or your value props were below the fold and people weren't getting it, yeah, you're right. Like people are still when they see that that SEM ad that they're, they're going to be like, mm, I remember clicking on that and it wasn't for me. Like it, it it's not uh, just open phishing <laughs> like you can just get them whenever you want. One question I did have was um, on the branding side, like how do you ensure that like every touch point has like that brand experience? Cause I think a lot of times I see is that like the experience on ads are not the same as the experience that like the feeling you get a landing page and the feelings when you talk to cus- like customer success is not the same as when you've mm-hmm. interacted with the sales team or like there's a lot of these different points, even like e-commerce too. It's like you like the unboxing experience doesn't match like the, the top of funnel like experience that that buyer had. So how do you make sure like that every touch point has that brand feel to it? Yes. This is a great question because let's, let's talk about the first one you said paid ads versus, you know, the other branding experiences paid. I, I spent a lot of time in my career, like arguing with growth marketers and I, I learned something and this is like, it was a humbling experience and a growth opportunity for me paid marketers have one job. It's what is the CAC? What, how can I acquire this customer at, at the lowest possible cost to get them to do the thing I need them to do? And there are some very real truths about paid ads. Sometimes the most straightforward ad wins. And you know whether it's very clear CTA, very clear copy. And so the way I think about this as a brand, like I'm a brand marketer first, is like voice and tone and brand are on a spectrum. And there are times where the volume of your voice can be very loud. And there are times where the volume needs to be turned down so that the CTA and everything else is very, very clear based on the action you need somebody to take. And so paid is a great example of like, yes, you have your brand guidelines, you know what colors to use, you know what fonts to use. But the role of a growth marketer is to really just like run a shit ton of tests and say, this is what's converting, whether it's like high, you know, loud brand voice or not. Sometimes the pretty beautiful ad that you're like, I love this picture of this couple. It's exactly what like we want, you know, to represent our brand, but it doesn't convert. And so I I, I would just like separate that one for a, a second because paid does kind of live in its own world of optimizing CAC. But then other things you said, like the the packaging experience, customer service, et cetera. 
that's where the head of marketing's role is to like, it's your job to get into all of those functions and help to optimize. And I think one in the, in early stage startups, product marketing is a missing function. And so what is product marketing? It really is that Venn diagram, that middle area between your product team and your marketers, where the product marketing really is, is tasked with conversion, making sure that all of your funnels are optimized, but they also are going through everything to say, yeah, uh, this 404 page could just say, sorry, this page is invalid, or we can actually make it look and, and feel on brand. And so when there is a lack of that in an org, the marketing team does need to be a part of those kickoffs of wireframing, et cetera, because it's so much easier before you've built a product or a feature to have a marketer sit in that kickoff and say, yeah, and also we could, you know, make sure that we integrate social sharing at this moment because that will help with a viral loop and an engagement loop or, you know, other things that within the experience you could bring in brand, but also marketing and getting more eyeballs back on your product and brand. I think one great point you made is like, I think, a lot of marketers don't do this is even like sit and make that brand experience in the product. Like I think a lot of it's like, okay, the colors and the fonts maybe match like my brand, but like that experience of like a little like pop-ups or a little like funny memes in there or something that is on brand to you is like not in there. And I think a lot of marketers don't go into product and, and they're like exactly what you said, like, those viral loops that you can create in products that the, the feedback loop that you can create in products is a lot and a lot of marketers don't sit in products. Yeah. And I, so if, obviously a lot of marketers listen to this. And so if you're sitting there and you're like, this would never happen at my organization, like product doesn't like to talk to marketing, et cetera. Like you have to kind of become like almost earn your seat at the table. But the way that I have done this in the past is I will do a teardown of like our whole website, like literally screenshot everything and I'll put in product marketing. Like I'll be like, Hey, we could have done a first user experience here and done, you know, this is this, this is this and point to all the different features that someone could use, or I'll like rewrite copy on a page to make it feel like more welcoming or on brand. I'll show success messaging. Like that's usually missing in a lot of product experiences is success messaging. I'll do a teardown of it and share it with the head of product. The head of product's job is literally to make that product as good as it can be. Like that is their product. And so play into their ego and say, hey, I just really want us to have the best possible product. And I I just took the initiative. Like, I, I think that there's a couple of areas where we can infuse our brand. And so I wanted to show you some ideas. And then, hey, going forward, a way that I could do this more proactively than reactively, because reactively adds sprints that they don't want. They don't have it in their roadmap to go back and add success messaging. And so like, hey, I don't want to be a pain, but like, I would love to like be in kickoffs for new features or, or whatever. And I can bring also social media user research to the table because usually marketers come with like, hey, here's what everybody's saying on Twitter. Here's what everybody's saying on Instagram. Like, let me help you as you're thinking about this. I think one, another great point you just made is like the point of knowing your audience internally and internal selling people. 
I think like that is a key to being a good marketer too, is like, like you said, selling to the product team, selling to demand gen, selling to sales teams, selling to whatever, like how do I sell to them? Yep, exactly. In the beginning, if you're, if you're in a very siloed organization, you're going to feel like the most, you know, the least liked person because you're going to be getting your hands in other people's cookie jars and they may be defensive on that. But the positioning and the framing is always, hey, like we're all in this together. We're the same team. We're trying to make it the best possible product and experience and brand. I have two more questions for you. One is, what is the biggest mistake most marketers are making today? I normally would say it's like, thinking of growth as like the Holy grail or paid as the Holy grail of growth. But I think we're starting to see that table turn as, you know, CACs, you just can't keep paying to acquire customers. So I would say two things. One, thinking of affiliates and influencers as secondary like as the secondary tier of marketing, it's like, let me first just get like social set up or let me first just get email set up. And it's like, I'll get to affiliates and I'll get to influencers later. If you're not having those conversations early and getting people to to advocate for your brand, I think that you're missing out. And then the second one is thinking of community as a byproduct versus a tactic. And yes, like if you have a kick-ass brand and a kick-ass product, community will start to form around that. And that's awesome if that's happening naturally. But many, many marketers need to start thinking about community proactively and how do you actually cultivate community and, and incentivize them and make them feel valuable to the company. And if you think about that early, you're going to have a batch of people advocating for you very, very quickly. Yeah. And the number one channel usually in marketing is word of mouth. So like you're playing into that loop. The last question I have is um, what is like one piece of advice you would tell all marketers? What is your number one piece of advice? Mm, My gosh. Oh, that's so hard. Number one piece of advice. Network. So part of what I've like learned on Twitter and granted I've only been there for a year, but the community is so like marketing Twitter is a thing, even though we don't like love to be like hashtag marketing Twitter, lots of cool brand partnerships come out of marketing Twitter because the people are friends and the best thing you can do as a marketer is get yourself into these networks there are so many Slack channels that are marketers talking about their challenges or solutions, or, you know, they're trying out three different referral systems and they're going to give you the pros and cons of each. You will save so much time and energy by building out a network of marketers that you rely on and talk to regularly. That's a great advice. And I think like even Twitter is like the, like, I think I've grown my marketing t- career just by looking at LinkedIn and Twitter, like, and what are people are saying? Like, I think it's exponentially like gave me more information and like more inputs. Last thing I would say is what, where could people find you? Like, where could people find your new company that you just launched? Just anything you want to bring up right now for the audience? Yeah, uh, thank you. I'm most active on Twitter these days, but House of Wise 
we're not like a traditional D2C. So if you follow us on Instagram or Twitter, you'll see, or follow me on Twitter, you'll see that every day we, we feature a new wise woman and you can buy from her. We're a company that's building for women, by women and supporting women. And so every single wise woman is a micro affiliate. And so you can buy directly from them and, and there's, they make, you know, decent money from it. So I uh, would love for you to go support someone if you're interested in trying. We have sleep, sex, and stress are our three product lines. They're, they work for men as well. We have had many men try try all three lines and are very happy with them. So if you're interested in trying CBD, go support a, a wise woman. Awesome. Thank you so much. I think we got a lot of value here and I'm excited to bring this to the world. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you.